Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. There you go, if you want to have a look through there. You should be able to see some big tomatoes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And those are your, your first southern New Zealand dotterels. Now, my haramaiki te au, hurehanga. Welcome to Our Changing Worlds, Kōklea Kankanan Tēnei. Today, I want to introduce you to a bird. I mean, you'll also meet some people along the way. People like Dock Ranger Daniel Cocker, who's been into southern New Zealand dotterels since he first came across them at age 14. Oh uh, yeah, I've got eyes on one southern here. One, two... Oh, that's a nice dark breeding plumage one. Oh yeah. But mostly I want you to really get to know Tutirifatu, or Rako, the southern New Zealand dotterel. What it gets up to, where it hangs out, just generally how it's doing. Look at them just doing their thing. Picking away. <laughs> so, can you tell me where we are? Uh, so, we're at Aorua Bay, next to TY Aluminium Spouter, just near Bluff. One of the best locations in the country for, for wading birds. Thousands of migratory birds, such as godwits and, and such, uh, migrate here every, every year. And we've also got about half the population, just under half the population of southern New Zealand dotterels gather here, yeah, outside of the breeding season. So, yeah, really crucial spot. And it's a lowish tide. The tide is coming in, but in front of us there's just this big mud and sand flat that goes for ages. Um, and you've set up this binoculars to try and spot some southern dotterels. Yep, so at the moment we're just getting the, the, the scopes and the binoculars out to have a look and see what, where the birds are. We know where they'll be pushed when the tide comes in, so we'll sort of get set up and prepared for for that but we'll probably have a go uh, and try catch some of these birds and see how we go and then hopefully put some GPS tags on yeah and what are they doing here so this is a yeah just a popular feeding site uh, for about 54 southern New Zealand dotterels within the next month or two most of these birds will make their way back to Rakiura uh, to the mountaintops one of the main areas is Kapuki uh, Turoto, the Tin Range, um, which is where we do a lot of our predator control and, and monitoring. And when you said uh, tomatoes, it's <laughs> for some of them that have that more orange plumage on their breasts. And what's that about? Yeah, so coming into, well, at this time of year that some of the birds are starting to get very dark, they're coming into their breeding plumage. So at the start of the year, sort of January till, till March, the dotterels have a very plain breast. They have it like sort of just a white or patchy breast and then that becomes very dark brick red uh, this time of year. Um, so the birds are starting to pair up and then they'll head back to the mountain tops on Stewart Island to breed. Okay, so maybe there are a few clues in there that not everything is rosy in the southern New Zealand dotterel world. But you haven't even properly been introduced yet other than imagining some tomatoes on a sandbank. Here's University of Otago master's student Oscar Thomas with a more thorough description. They're a very curious bird. They're quite a large dotterel. They're the largest in their genus. Um, if you're not familiar with what a dotterel is, it's a, a shorebird, generally quite small, generally coastal. 
the southern dotterels a little bit more unique in that they do nest up in the mountains. Um, and they're quite a, a plump bird. They're very handsome. They've got uh, brown plumage above and then they're white below for most of the year and then they develop a reddish tinge on the breast and face uh, in the breeding plumage and that can be quite dark especially on the southern dotterel. Uh, they almost look a bit like tomatoes just before they leave for migration. More tomatoes. Oscar's right though. They're plump, they're handsome, they're super cute. They're also in trouble. Here's Daniel. So since 2010 the dotterel population has more than halved, uh, so there's about 290 to 300 birds in 2010, and then since then, yeah, has just been has sort of fluctuated a bit, but um, yeah, it's now down to just 126 birds. Uh, so at this current rate, you know, we could expect if this continues, we could expect the the dotterels to be extinct by 2030. And that's why Daniel, Oscar, and others from Doc and the University of Otago are here at Awarua Bay this brisk and breezy day trying to catch birds to put satellite tags on to answer one question. Where do these dotrels go over the summer? There are currently 126 known birds and only 20% of them are found in the breeding grounds over summer at the moment. So we currently don't know where about 80% of the birds are heading during summer. They're not seen at all during that time. By putting transmitters on them, then that'll help give us an idea of where they are, where they're nesting uh, and where they're most vulnerable. Step one is catch a dotterel. And today, that job falls to Daniel and Harry Tallarico. Harry is also a ranger on the Dock Southern New Zealand Dotterels recovery team. So, Harry, what's the plan to catch the dotterels? Uh, so, Dan and I will um, walk out with a couple of noose mats. So, basically, it's um, just maybe a metre-long bit of um, mesh plastic with nooses attached to them, and we peg them into the ground and uh, try and coerce the um, southern dotterels with mealworms. Um, and if we're successful, they'll uh, step towards the noose mat, step on the noose mat and get caught by the leg uh, with the noose. Uh, and then we'll carefully approach the bird, release it from its noose, put it in the bag and take it back to being processed. Mealworms are the little treats? They're like their most delicious snacks? We've trained them. Uh, they love <laughs> mealworms. <laughs> I uh, know, so we, we, yeah, they tend to really like anything small and wriggly that's in the water, so they get enticed by the mealworms that we throw them. Um, some birds are a little bit more enthusiastic than others, um, which can make it a little bit challenging if we're not targeting a specific bird. Sometimes one bird will, uh, if you're targeting one bird, there'll be another bird in the area bullying it out of the way and <laughs> being a bit of a nuisance. So, yeah, it can be a bit challenging at times, but it's a lot of fun. And the nooses don't hurt the birds either. Um, the noose mats are a very safe way of catching dotterels. Yeah. All right, we do it. Let's do it. They head out onto the sandbank. Noose nets, buckets of mealworms, and bags for the birds in hand. This is the tricky bit, because as Oscar explains, they can't just capture any old dotterel. As we do know where roughly 20% of the population breed already, we are trying to avoid those birds, uh, as the recovery team is aware of them and currently uh, managing them actively with predator control on Rakiora. And so, you know which birds they are because of the bands? Yes, each bird has a unique colour combination on their legs. I say each one, but uh, 80% of them do, so 100 of the 126 do. So we're targeting specific birds that haven't been seen on the breeding grounds and are older than one year, uh, as in they weren't banded in the last year, so they potentially aren't yet at breeding age. Yesterday, the team were here for four hours, and in that time managed to catch and put transmitters on two birds. So it's not an easy job. But luckily today, 
three quarters of an hour after they wandered out, we can see Daniel strolling back, bagged bird in hand. The team get to work readying a transmitter. Doc Principal Technical Advisor Richard Maloney explains how it works. These are kind of leg loop harnesses, so you can see the loops running down here, but they're going to go over um, each of the individual legs and the transmitter will just sit on its back um, with its wings sort of forward in that kind of area. So, so like a little backpack? Yes, exactly that, yeah. So there are different methods of attaching them, but this is a really good one in the sense that it has a... Um, We've got a weak link in the front of the transmitter as well. So in this piece here, there's just a small weak thread. So if the bird gets caught anywhere, then that will snap in the front and it will just fall off the... It'll break it and it'll just fall off the side um, and not get tangled up in the bird at all like that. So, And it's about the size of half of your finger? Maybe down to the uh, Well, second. maybe the first joint of your finger, depending on how big your finger is, of course. So uh, 10, 15 millimetres long, um, about... 10 millimetres high and about um, 7 or 8 millimetres wide so um, so they're pretty small And is that a little solar cell on top? Yeah that's correct so um, so they have a battery in them but mostly they're powered through repeated charging from the solar panel for that so um, you know we'll see how that goes on cloudy days in Southland uh, but um, you know if they go flat they still store the data in here for long periods of time and they can store a huge amount of actual location data so once they charge up again, then they'll be in a position to receive new signals and then also you know, download the information that sits on the transmitters themselves. And these are set up to take a location every 12 hours, is that correct? Uh, yes, but you can set them to do it at different uh, time frames, right down to five minutes, and that chews up a lot of battery power, but it would give you a lot of really local movement information. And at the moment, you know, for this project, they're more interested in knowing where the birds go uh, in terms of the uh, you know long distance things, so having the battery last longer, and having fewer points on every day is the kind of key question that we're trying to answer here. Oh, and here's Daniel with the bird. Sweet. <laughs> nice work, guys. Thank you. Well done, Harry. <laughs> this bird walked over my noose mat about ten times, didn't get caught, <laughs> but then Harry, Harry managed to get it. So it's a um, blue metal bird, so it was banded in 2021. Oh, that's good. Bird seems quite calm. That little green bag. So far. <laughs> Hands aren't too cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're warming up your hands. Yeah, absolutely. It's not the like it's a nice calm day today, so it's actually okay. But um, it's just it's nice for the bird that they don't have to suffer through my cold hands. <laughs> the bird is weighed by Dr. Joe Monks and Katie Gray because for ethical reasons they have to make sure the transmitter is less than three percent of the body weight of the bird. Oscar and Katie switch on the transmitter, and then it's time for the team of Richard and Katie to fit the transmitter onto the bird. They've been doing this job together across the last year with some smaller cousins of these birds, the banded dotterels, in the Mackenzie Basin for Katie's master's research. So they're a well-oiled machine. So at the moment, Katie is putting the harness over the right leg of the dotterel. It's a leg loop harness. It goes under both of the legs, and then tag itself sits in the centre of the back, solar panel facing upwards so that it can stay charged when it reaches the sunlight, and then the antennae out the back so that um, the data can be transmitted. Important thing to consider when putting the harness on is to make sure that none of the feathers are going the wrong way and uh, they're all sitting nicely as they were before the bird was caught. In 
Why was it super important that it that it's dry this morning? If it's too wet, then uh, the bird's waterproofing could be put at risk when they are handled. And then when they're released, then they could uh, be prone to the cold and we don't want to put them at risk in any way. I have to say, the bird is remarkably chill. Very chill. Okay. That's the uh, the hand whispering technique that you can use in order to keep them like that. So. <laughs> this is <what> <laughs> your beautiful warm hands. Yeah, that's right. You are editing so, this, aren't you? <laughs> we're just going to make sure that the feathers aren't caught under the harness now. Um, and for that, we can use a crochet hook um, to help smooth them, make sure that they're sitting where they should. So it's really important to make sure that none of the feathers that might restrict um, movement are caught under there. So we're just going to hold it by its legs now and um, let it flap its wings for a while and just make sure that it's feeling comfortable about where all its feathers are related to its transmitter. So. Yeah, they seem to like to bite while they flap these ones. <laughs> <laughs> So that's fine. So there's no restrictions to its movements on swings there, so we know it can fly well. The other thing we all test a little bit is um, we just let it get pressure on its legs. And um, that way we can just make sure that there's nothing restricting it. Radio, transmitter's working, Oscar. Happy? Yes. All right, do you want to grab hold of it? And um, we're pretty well done here. Nothing else we need? No, just the time. I can take Data's it. all good. So that's it. Oscar releases the bird back onto the sand, where it quickly scurries and then flies back to its buddies. So the birds flock together here and in a few other bays in Rakiota. Then they go to the Rakiota mountaintops to breed, most of them to unknown spots, then back to the bays where they hang out in their little groups. That's how the team know how many there are and have been able to ban most of them. What they've just attached is a hub tag, which transmits data to a portable hub. Maybe this can be hiked into the mountains of Rakiota, or Oscar will bring a hub to Awarua Bay early next year for when the birds return, to learn where they've gone during breeding time. If they survive. If this season goes anything like last year, then uh, it's possible we could lose up to half the transmitters, but uh, I'm optimistic, you know, the, the team's managing the birds actively and uh, hopefully we'll see a better result and less predation. Yep. The classic predation issue. And Daniel says there's one main threat. When they head back to the mountaintops, that's when they're most at risk. And so adult birds, um, in particular when they're on the nest, are very vulnerable to to feral cat predation, um, as well as eggs and chicks. Um, But yeah, last breeding season, we estimate we lost 40 to 50 adult southern New Zealand dotterels. So as a result of feral cat predation, we can't confirm that with all those birds, but there were, we did find a number of dead birds that were killed by feral cats. How long do these little birds live? The life expectancy for a southern New Zealand dotterel, uh, we estimate it to be, they should live to be up to 30 years old. It's sort of the, well, we assume it's the same with northerns. Um, yeah, I even found a bit of literature the other day that was saying there might have been a New Zealand dotterel as old as 40 years old. So, yeah, they can potentially live a long time. Um, however, on average, a southern New Zealand dotterel will not live more than four or five years old uh, as a result of, of feral cat predation. So the bird we just caught before and put the GPS tracker on, that was banded in, uh, in 2021. 
So you could almost say in two years we would expect that bird to no longer be alive with the current, uh, at the current rate the birds are, are dying at. I mean, that's a pretty grim picture. And you've said, you know, feral cats are the main issue, but are there other things that predate on the dotterels? Are there other issues that they face? Yeah, so there are a few natural uh, predators, swamp harriers, spurring plovers, um, but there's also yeah a few others like white-tailed deer. Um, a few years ago, some of the guys on the, the team got video footage of a white-tailed deer eating a, a dotterel egg. So we don't know how widespread that is. We sort of assume it's not super widespread and it's not uh, heaps of white-tails targeting dotterel nests. We have only seen that one example. But as a precaution, we do... Uh, try to control white-tailed deer up on the hilltops, uh, especially around uh, the, the tin range. But yeah, feral cats are the main risk. The current 126 birds is not the lowest it's ever been. In 1991, the population got down to an all-time low of just 62 birds. Bait station pest control efforts helped them bounce back to that high in 2010, but now they're in decline again. There are no stoats or ferrets on Stewart Island, so that's good. And feral cats are included in the plan for predator-free Rakiota, but that might come too late for these little birds. So Daniel and Harry are part of the four-person permanent Southern New Zealand dotterel recovery team, tasked with feral cat control in the known dotterel breeding areas. And just in these couple of weeks, putting out about 50 more kill traps on Mount Rakiahua, Rocky Mountain... Uh, and Kapukituroto, the hills of the Tin Range. I believe you were at that last week. What were the conditions? Uh, uh, yes, I was up on Mount Rakiahua uh, last week, and yeah, it was pretty, pretty snowy. Yeah, not the nicest conditions. Pretty cold on the hands, but yeah, we're installing kill traps there. We're also doing that this week as well. We've got a heli drop, so we're dropping traps on quite a few of the hills. Um, so, yeah fly back to Stewart Island tonight and then tomorrow morning helicopter out to the hill and spend the week installing traps. What's the best thing about your job? <laughs> I think some of the locations you get to visit are pretty pretty awesome. Kapukituroto is unreal. The views up there are amazing. Some of the wildlife up there is amazing. You know, you get to see the dotterels up there, but you also get, you even get to see some kiwi up really high up there on the mountaintops. Uh, harlequin geckos. It's, it's amazing, and if you're lucky, you also might be lucky to see a, an aurora. The stars are incredible, um, and obviously I get to go watch birds uh, for a living, which is pretty cool. And the worst thing? <laughs> um, oh, the worst thing. Um, I mean, it is a bit tough at the moment with the, some of the predator control and some of the, the conditions. Yeah, the weather can be harsh at times, and yeah, Stewart Island is, a, is quite a quite isolated spot you know you're away from your family or friends you know um, a couple of the, the guys on the team away from their partners yeah so I suppose that is one of the harder parts of, of the job but yeah like I say you get to go to some pretty pretty awesome spots and to be able to try help these birds yeah is also pretty cool pretty rewarding yeah it's easy to romanticize this stuff but the reality of the work is tough in his early 20s, this is now Daniel's full-time job, which he started last November, a week after his final university exams. But he's been involved in southern New Zealand dotterel conservation for quite some time. Yeah, I've been involved with dotterels since I was about 14, 
uh, 15 years old, uh, born and raised in Southland. So, um, yeah, the Dodderals have always been, I suppose, yeah, out on my doorstep. How did that first involvement with Dotterals happen at 14 or 15? Um, I was, yeah, I was very fortunate. One of my dad's mates, he was heading up by helicopter to one of the mountaintops uh, on Stewart Island, uh, Mount Rakiahua, and just happened that he had a spare seat on the helicopter and he knew there were some rare birds up there. And he said, um, oh, you know, did your son want to come along? And so, yeah, I went on on the helicopter, first ever trip, I was a bit, bit nervous, but um, yeah, and then managed to find... Well, I found quite a few nests up there, um, quite a few chicks um, and quite a few adult birds. That was my first time seeing a southern New Zealand dotterel. A few years later, he met the project manager at a Birds New Zealand conference who invited him to help with banding birds at Awarua Bay. Yeah, I got to take about a week off school for that and um, yeah, got to hold my first dotterel and uh, really see them up close. And yeah, that sort of started my first opportunities really working with with Doc and with the Dodderals and then yeah after that I was involved with some of the banding trips on Stewart Island at Mason Bay and also here at Awarua Bay and then last year a position came up for the Dodderal team on on Rakiura and yeah I guess I couldn't say no. He was also campaign manager for the Southern New Zealand Dodderal last year for Bird of the Year and one of his first actions was to get them recognised in the competition as their own species, separate to the northern New Zealand dotterel. Southern New Zealand dotterels are larger and heavier than the northern New Zealand dotterels. They have a darker head plumage and back plumage. Uh, the wing feathers are yeah, quite a bit darker than the northerns. I suppose the more noticeable difference is the dark brick red that the dotterels have in their breeding colours. Uh, down here. Um, Southern New Zealand dotterels also have a slightly larger mid-toe which is thought to be to enable better stability in the alpine areas uh, when they're breeding up on the hilltops. And that of course is one of the things that makes the southern dotterels special. These plump little shorebirds are also mountain birds. Unlike the northern New Zealand dotterel, which breeds on the beaches, the southern New Zealand dotterels breed up on the mountaintops. They would have once bred throughout the southern Alps of the South Island and they'd been recorded as high as 2,500 metres above sea level. Um, however, due to the introduction of you know, stoats and feral cats and also a bit of human hunting, they disappeared from these breeding locations in the South Island and now they only survive on the mountaintops breeding on Stewart Island. Daniel and I have been hunkered down amongst the harakeke, grass and kaposma at the edge of the bay out of the wind and as he heads back out to catch another bird the rest of the team packs up to move further down the tide has come in and the birds are all collecting at one end of the bay gathering on that last curve of sandbar not yet underwater as I stroll around with Oscar he points out the different species now clustered in this one spot New Zealand dotrels sort of on the grassy stuff uh, godwits flying and sort of on the water there mm. Uh, some oyster catchers around the place and a few other rare waders which you might not have heard of like a greater sand plover, curly sandpiper, the Terex sandpiper, the turnstones, the stints. That's a greater sand plover which is an Australian bird. They look pretty much like a smaller New Zealand dotrel. They're so cute, he's so roundy. Yeah. This is a curly sandpiper, which has a long, down-curved bill. Just one of them around today as well. Not to the second most common Arctic migrant, 
but most of them don't get further than Lake Miranda, so northern North Island. Hmm. These little ones are the stints, so they're sparicised. They do just as impressive a feat as the godwits. So where do they go to? The Arctic. Oh, they also go to the Arctic? The stints? Yep. The godwits, the knots, the turnstones, the stints and sandpipers. So none of them ever breed here. After a long stint lying on the sand and coaxing with mealworms, Harry and Daniel managed to catch another bird. And the team jump into action again. Did that take a while, Daniel? Oh man, that was, uh, that was hard work. It ran across the mat about five times before getting caught. I had a lot of mealworms, but we finally got it right at the end. So I'm covered in dirt and all sorts from rolling around. So. So this very much is teamwork, Richard. You're holding the wing out of the way while Katie hooks the thread around the legs. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of a, um, as a team, you get kind of really good at what your job is here. So I'm holding the bird in position, holding the wing out of the way and holding the transmitter on top in the right position at the same time, while Katie's actually doing all the grunt work for, you know, getting the, the leg loop in place and making sure it's in the right position and so on for that, so... Um, Can so, you hold those and I'll just run yeah. my finger around the leg again. And so after you've done it, like Katie and I have been doing uh, quite a lot of black funded turns and bandidoctrals last year like this, so it's kind of really easy once the team gets into their job and knows what they're doing, so we don't have to, we don't argue and yell and shout very much anymore, do we, Katie? <laughs> and stuff, so. no, you don't tell me off in the same way you used to. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm done checking under the legs. Yeah, nice work. And now the test. They're such quiet, passive birds, like lots of birds you do this with and they'll be flapping like crazy to get away straight away. But Yeah, see that's nice. So it's, um, its wings are nice and even. They're not pinched, being pinched by the transmitter cords anyway, so we haven't missed any feathers on the top, um, which is what we want. So. Not long afterwards, the wind picks up and the clouds begin to gather. The forecasted weather change has arrived, so it's time to pack up. This was an initial tagging pilot, using Katie and Richard's experience with the banded dotterels to do the first ever tagging of these critically endangered birds. There's more planned for next year. In the following days, they tried to catch a few more, but with a combination of tide times, weather and dancing dotterels avoiding the nooses, they couldn't get any. One of the tags has since come off, perhaps that built-in weak link doing its job to prevent entanglement. So, only three. But it's a start. Soon these birds will head to the mountains to nest. Hopefully they survive to return to Awarua Bay next year to reveal the secrets of where they go. What is it about southern dotterels? Um, I think, I, I don't know, being a southender, you know, we're sort of at the bottom of the country and like maybe a little bit forgotten about and like I feel like I kind of relate to the dotterels because they're you know, they've been sort of forgotten about and they're perhaps underappreciated or underrated bird. Yeah, for the first time, having a permanent southern New Zealand dotterel team does really give the birds much more of a chance. Uh, we really want to reverse that decline and, and really boost the population. We would love to see the dotterels thriving. And my goal was, to, you know, to one day be able to have them breeding on the mainland again. Yeah, it would be awesome to, to see them thrive. 
Thanks to Daniel Cocker and Harry Tallarico of the DOC Southern New Zealand Dotterill Recovery Team and to DOC Principal Technical Advisor Richard Maloney. Thanks also to postgraduate students Oscar Thomas and Katie Gray and to conservation biologist Dr Joe Monks, all from the University of Otago. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon, with help from William Ray and Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering was by William Saunders, and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. We've got some beautiful pictures of handsome, plump, southern New Zealand dotterel tomatoes that we will share on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, plus some videos of the birds being tagged. We'll also include more links and information there, so you can continue your journey into the world of the Southland underdog. If you've got feedback for us, you can email ourchangingworlds at rnz.co.nz or find us on Facebook or X, where we are at RNZ Science. Tina koe i mai. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Have a great week. Kia pai de wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.